0: Hey, this is Adam Marcus, and you're listening to The
1: Movie Raid. It's time for The Movie Ray. and tonight's victim is Adam Marcus, director, has done many films such as Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, Secret Santa, and amongst others. Hello.
0: Hey,
1: how you doing, brother? Fantastic, man. I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I know you're still promoting Secret Santa, and you got a show coming up on August 13th. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. Uh, the American Cinematheque and a fantastic series of movies they're doing called The Friday Night Fright has invited me along with Josh Miller, who's he's the writer of Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2. Great dude. Really smart, funny guy. Josh has asked me to participate with The American Cinema Tech in an anniversary screening of Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday in Los Angeles. It's quite an honor. I'm kind of blown away by the whole thing I was asked a few weeks ago. And right now, we're in the middle of shooting the... Uh, Uh, Hearts of Darkness, the making of the Final Friday documentary from my company, Skeleton Crew. Speaking at the event, Josh is going to be interviewing me there, and I'm going to be taking questions from the audience. And, uh, yeah, we're going to shoot the end of the documentary at that screening really exciting moment actually really really fun so Friday August 13th which is exactly 28 years from the day the movie opened in theaters in Los Angeles
1: yeah, that's, that's almost like mind blowing 28 years and um, you've been doing so much other stuff uh, since then and, and having that reflection of everything like especially from a, a very well known franchise does the feelings stay that way or has that actually changed your perspective as a director and or other ventures that you've done outside from directing
0: you know what Here, here's the thing I think each film that you come across Cross as its own universe, as its own thing. And so, you know, I got started in the film business very, very young. And, you know, I was best friends with Sean Cunningham's son, Noel Cunningham, that's how I met Sean, when I was eight years old. So I was a fixture in the house when they made the original Friday the 13th. So when it got to the point when I graduated film school at NYU and I had won Best Picture there and so on and so forth, Sean brought me to his company and I started producing movies for him. And I produced my boyfriend's back. Uh, Disney with Sean from one of my best buddies in college a guy named Dean Laurie who's a tremendous brilliant screenwriter recently did the Harley Quinn uh, animated series it was amazing Dean ended up writing Jason Goes to Hell with me when Sean Cunningham came to me and said you know if you figure out a way to get the fucking hockey mask out of the movie I'll let you write and direct it and I was like woohoo like that was so exciting, and then realized five minutes later, like, wait a minute, what did you tell me to get out of the movie, what what am I doing? Yeah, Jason Goes to Hell, my first writing and directing of a feature film. I was 22 when I got hired here to make the movie, and I was 23 when I shot it. It was an amazing experience, total trial by fire, but, you know, I brought the movie in under budget, under time, and we made a ton of money with the thing, and it was kind of an explosive moment in my life. And then it kind of became my middle name for the rest of my career. You know, if Adam Jason goes to Al Marcus constantly. I understand when people get tired of stuff like that. I kind of don't. I, I understand the the, the worry of being pigeonholed as an artist. I totally understand that. But I got to tell you something. I, I've never been pigeonholed. I've worked in almost every genre there is. Uh, I've made award winning romantic comedies that were big Sundance hits, all the way to thrillers and other horror films. My wife and I wrote Texas Chainsaw. I, I got to tell you, being known for for Jason Goes to Hell, for Friday Thirteenth. Okay, great. Like that's awesome. Most filmmakers spend their whole lives trying to be known for something, and I'm known for my very first movie. So. Okay, cool. I'm always happy there's an audience because of the Friday 13th franchise. And quite frankly, that franchise, I owe that franchise that because they gave
1: that to me some people when they grow as a director producer or, or whatever uh, type of field that they're going in especially what they were known from that first feature sometimes they kind of just take that with them almost on every vision that they try to do and you can tell especially from the audience to tell that they'll definitely tell that this is something that you were known from at that point and that's almost a, a a risky move as well even though that you're very well established for what you've done and what you are but at the same time you're, you're still taking that existing image or existing feel to it and, and applying it it's almost like you combine two directors from two different franchises and you combine it into one, you know for a fact which tastes they came from.
0: Absolutely. Being a franchise filmmaker, while I know some people consider it a curse, I really don't. The truth is, a lot of the stuff that I do is in the horror genre. And when you've got street cred with, that includes Friday the 13th and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, people will listen to you and people will finance your movies and people will get excited about what you're doing because, you know, look, I was 22 years old and they handed the world's biggest Horror franchise at that time, and they put it in Miami. It's right too, I and mean, it was my movie, and that says a lot about their faith in me, and you know, the fact that the movie did well, and that day, the biggest video that New Line had ever put out before Lord of the Rings. Tremendous thing. Crazy thing to say about about work that you've done. The other part of it is, think about how many movies that were made 28 years ago. I always use this as an example. When Jason Gosell came out, the night it came out, I had seen the movie a hundred times by that point, and in fact, the red carpet premiere for the movie was just the night before, at the Grumman Chinese Theater in Hollywood, the Famous red carpet theater for this huge screening. Packed, sold out crowd, all celebrities. It was crazy. Dude. They had a giant Bob's Big Boy out front with a hockey mask on. I mean, like the actual Bob's Big Boy. It was insane. So we did this whole rigmarole. The night of the, the, the movie opens, I went to a theater in Westwood. I bought a ticket for my movie, but I'd seen my movie so many times, and honestly, I was only really interested to hear what the audience had to say when they were leaving. So I went into another movie. I went in to see a movie called Searching for Bobby Fischer, which is a fantastic film. Steve Zalian, one of the greatest screenwriters of all time. I believe it was his directorial debut. It was like this absolutely gorgeous movie. Ben Kingsley, Joan Allen, Joe Montana in this incredible, thrilling, dramatic film. I love that movie to this day. I'm the only person you've heard in the last 28 years talk about that movie. But people still talk about Jason Goes to Hell. They open on the same day. And I look at that and I go, you know, there has to be respect given to a fan base that loves these movies so much that they keep these films alive. And another thing is, look, I'm not unaware that half of the audience fucking hates my movie. Like, hates Jason Goes to Hell. You know why I'm cool with it? Because you hear more about Jason Goes to Hell than you do about Part 7 or Part 5 or Part 3 or The remake. Because here's the thing, man. Those haters spark... Conversation. They get people to take sides and find interest in what happened in that story. And I got to tell you, like, there's nothing more exciting to me than when I hear from a fan, and they used to be a hater of the movie, and over time they've gone, you know what, I finally figured out, like, you were trying to do something different and create a new mythology, and now I love the movie. Like, there's nothing more exciting to me. And again, I have no problem having conversations with people who hate the film. I have no problem talking about it. I don't get upset about it. I don't get my... hurt I don't do any of that because, as a filmmaker, you have to know you're going into a space where people are going to have opinions. And I'm sorry, dude. Think about how divided we are.
1: Having been a part of this franchise, especially an icon franchise, do you think that there's a fine line between altering and progress of that character?
0: I never set out to alter the character from my perspective. If you go to see the first movie, which, by the way, has no hockey mask in it, it has only about 30 seconds of Jason in its entirety. It's about his mom. It's about a middle-aged woman named Pamela Voorhees murdering teenagers because they didn't watch her child, and he drowned. If you watch that movie, you realize, okay, there's a little boy who jumps out of the lake at the end of the movie, there's a little boy. Now, that little boy died 30 years ago He's still a little boy, or 22 years ago. He's still a little boy, and he jumps out of the lake. So, okay, so that's not a little boy. That has to be a monster, because it's a little boy that drowned. Now he comes up from the lake, and he drags Alice down. Fine. Then, two weeks later, literally two weeks later, Friday the 13th, part two, the opening happens, right? And Alice is in her apartment, and suddenly, this little boy has gained 120 pounds of pure muscle. He's found a tailor to fit his clothes quite beautifully. He's somehow learned how to read because the only way to get anyone's address back then was by looking in the white pages. Then he's learned to drive because he's carried his mother's severed head with him to Alice's house. He's then set up a very intricate plan where he's placed his mom's head in the refrigerator for Alice to find. Who's a very clever little boy? Let's remember this little boy, learning disability. This is the kid with a hydrocephalic head who died in the fifties. So now he's this clever serial killer who hides a head in the fridge, then hides in Alice's apartment, like tiptoes in the roundhouse, waits for her to go and open up the fridge, and then he hits her with a, with a with an ice pick. Okay, that's in two weeks that happened. From little boy to full grown man who did all that. Then he drags Alice's body and Mom's head back in camp. Forget about the fact that in part four, his head is turned into hamburger meat at the end of the movie because that's what Corey Feldman does to his head. He just chops in little pieces. Part five, there is no Jason. Part six, he's resurrected. He's arrested, a la Frankenstein's monster, but he's got a full head. Now, Tommy chop that head up to little pieces, I always thought, why isn't anybody trying to fix this problem in that Jason's not human? He's something else. He's a monster. There's something else happening here. We keep wanting to play him like he's a pro wrestler, but he's murdering people. He's not hitting people with a chair and running away. He's murdering people. Plus, no one is dealing with the fact that over 117 people have died in this small area of New Jersey over this short period of time. So, I immediately said, okay, if Jason's mom would do anything to have her Jason back, if Pamela would do anything to have this child back, wouldn't she reach out to dark arts? Wouldn't she try to resurrect her son via some sort of dark magic? And if you're going to go to dark magic, well, the best dark magic I've ever heard of is the And now imagine she resurrects her son reading from the Book of the Dead. Now, by the way, I always love that people go, there's only dead deadites. Well, no, there's revenants, and there's a lot of other things that can come from hell. So I always saw it as she calls up her son with one of these incantations. Her son wakes. Now imagine you're this little boy who is challenged, okay? Who does have challenges. And you're in a darkness, in a cold, wet, dark, terrified, stuck at the bottom of a lake. And you're there forever. And the first time you see your mommy at the edge of the lake, some woman cuts her head off. So that's one of the first things you see is that woman cutting off your mother's head. And suddenly, that would fill you with enough rage to rush to the surface to go to your mommy. Well, this girl slides out onto a canoe for some reason. goes out in the middle on a canoe. I never understood that. And Jason jumps up from the water and drags her down. Well, now I get it. So now you've got this little monster under the sea going after, after Alice. And now he's got a blood loss evil dead or a revenant or something else from the Necronomicon. I mean, basically I always call them Hell's Assassin. If this is Hell's Assassin, suddenly I believe him growing 120 pounds. I believe him being able to read and drive and do whatever the hell Hell needs him to do in order to commit these murders. And then you're literally dealing with Satan's Assassin. For me, there's nothing more Friday 13th, there's nothing more metal. That is so metal. That is such a badass thing. And so I was trying to kind of fix a hole in the logic of all of these movies with my entry to the film. So in retrospect, you know, I can say it now, and I I have to say it since, but Jason Knows to Hell is the Rogue One of the, the Friday 13th franchise. When we all went to see Star Wars as kids, we all went, yeah, but who would put a hole in the Death Star that if you get shot directly into it, you blow up the Hell Death Star. That's a really dumb flaw. It's not if the thing was put there on purpose. If the designer of the thing was with the Rebels, and that's what Rogue One did, was it fixed the Star Wars universe by going, yeah, someone did put that hole in the Death Star. Perfect. Kind of what Jason Goes to Hell does is it creates a mythology that isn't intended to change the, the trajectory of the character. It's intended to legitimize the fault In that trajectory. That was always my intention.
1: Jason Goes to Hell was something new, something different. I mean, I understand to be able to to, to disagree with that because they're so used to the earlier franchises and they're comparing from these franchises to obviously Jason Lives and so forth, but at the same time, like, this was a new ability of Jason Voorhees. Just straight to the point and a new way of Jason coming back rather than just getting electrified, which has already been done. We've seen that before at least several times, or this or that, or, or something like, you know, how many times we gotta see, you know, Chucky getting resurrected so many times in the same fashion. Absolutely. And (laughs) And in in this case, people need to be more open like that. Okay, I understand. Maybe it's it's not the standard Friday the 13th, but honestly, I'm frankly tired of Jason going back to the same place over and over and killing the same people over and over. But this was something new. And yes, even Jason Takes Manhattan was something different too. And yes, I don't agree with with everything in that movie either, but I definitely love how the look of Jason is and I do love his drive about the kills and so forth. But the story...
0: Absolutely. mm,
1: But... It's something that when it comes to these franchises moving forward, especially outside of the so-called quote comfort zone, do you think that sometimes the more this character can be used or reintroduced, the less it becomes ideal for feature installments, especially now?
0: I think having another Friday the 13th film is probably not a great idea. I actually think the fan films are doing more interesting work with the with the franchise than Hollywood can, because the fans tend to be a little more ferocious. They tend to want to make the movies that fans want to see. Look, if you look at my original treatment for Jason Goes to Hell, it was a much darker movie. It was even way bloodier. And by the way, my film is the bloodiest of all of these movies. It's flat out. Here. The kills are more brutal. I mean, nobody has anything like the 10th kill in any of the other films than in Jason Goes to Hell. And yeah, I'm not saying there weren't great kills in all these movies. Machete to the Face in part two is, is one of the best. The Sleeping Bad kill in part Second is amazing. I mean, look—any any kill that King Hotter is involved with is is going to be a badass kill because he's so completely invested in the character. But here's the thing: I think the fans are really giving us more interesting material, and. I don't think the studios are going to do that. I think, you know, someone like Blumhouse will will try to take the franchise over, and they'll make a reboot. It'll be yet another reboot, and they'll call it Friday the 13th. They won't call it Friday 13th Part 13. They're not going to do that. They're going to call it Friday the 13th, and they're going to try to retcon the whole thing just like the remake did. And i, I got to tell you, isn't it time we had some new ideas? Isn't it time we did some cool stuff? I mean, look, I have a great idea for a Friday the 13th. Seen sequel, like a great idea, but I, I gotta tell you, there's part of me that just goes, man, let this guy go. Let this character go. Let the fans have fun with him. I think stuff like, you know, Vin DeSantis' Never Hike Alone is a terrific way to deal with the franchise. Like, let the fans make films of this guy. Let that be where the entertainment comes from him. And then, you know, honestly, I think things like the game, the franchise's game is so good, and it's such a more interesting new entry into the him go kill teenagers again that's terrific no let people actually get interacted with it i think that's a far more interesting thing look dude do you think we need another freaking texas chainsaw movie like another one and i wrote texas chainsaw like i wrote it i i got it do we need another leprechaun movie is that really what we need or do we want to start finding new stories like, everybody stops being creative past the mid-90s. Like, we're going to have another screen movie. Another screen. There's been a screen television series. What do we need another movie for? What are we doing? By the way, it's going to be a movie not directed by Wes Craven ready all the other ones
1: were having some kind of a power to invent a story for jason or any other franchise known franchise it's like blueprints you just got to figure out which direction you really want to go for it's like whoa this this looks good like in this location this character looks like it makes it more interesting especially these fans man they are really doing some pretty interesting things i've seen quite a few friday 13 fan films and from where some of these directions are going it's like okay that's something new and it's not really typical it's not the same old thing but now some of them are doing this typical you know creepy ralph thing crazy ralph yeah like, like they're going into for example uh elias voorhees you know the most taboo subject of all time in friday the 13th and they're going further like in terms of the relationship between jason voorhees and this and this and, that, and i'm like okay now we're getting somewhere now we're not being repetitive now we're not being too gimmicky and, and, and now that they're sticking true to their kills uh, uh jason like this is something that is not shown in the you know well-known budget films
0: i audience is a new audience man they're a different audience they want different things the truth is a movie like hereditary or midsummer is going to make more money than the flat-out slasher movie it's going to get more traction it's going to look again you can retcon everything and do a halloween and that's fine but i gotta tell you i think those movies are going to have very short shelf lives really do, where I think that there's a way to start paving a route forward for new slashers, for new interesting characters. But as long as we keep talking about the old ones, we're not going to get new ones. It's not going to happen. It's really a phenomenon of the mid-70s mid to the mid-80s. The first movies of all of these franchises were well-made and actually terrifying. The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, people did not know what to do with themselves. I mean, dude, they were so freaking frightened, so terrified. And by the way, the original Texas Chainsaw, it's almost a bloodless film. There's almost no blood in the movie. That's how well done the movie is. Then you cut to Halloween. Halloween is another movie where there's almost no blood. There's no blood, dude. By the way, in the middle between those two franchises, you've got The Omen. The Omen is actually the first true slasher movie because it follows the fresh kill every seven minutes way of building a slasher film. It's really brutal, really bloody, ugly movie, and there, the devil is the villain, right? You move on to Friday 13th. Now, Friday 13th basically is nothing but a complete ripoff of Bay of Blood and Halloween. That's literally what the movie is, and then it it has Carrie's ending at the wedding. But let's remember again, it's a well-made mystery. It's a thriller. And you've got a scary movie attached to the concept. Not Jason. You've got his mom. Well, Friday 13th, part two is the really the first true Jason Friday 13th. And by the way, the guy's in a sack, and it's terrifying. For my money, part two and part six are the best movies of the franchise. And I'm including my own in there, man. I, I absolutely am. And I still say, part six is my favorite, part two is my second favorite, then Jason goes to hell. That's my ranking order. Always has. But here's the thing part two is actually legitimately frightening. The first nightmare on Elm Street, Freddie's not jokey and funny, Freddie is terrifying in that movie he's terrifying in that film the first hellraiser oh my god pinhead is a frightening freaking dude and we wait almost the entire runtime of the movie to get to the guy we barely see him here's the thing in the subsequent sequels problem is the villain becomes the hero and then it gets jokey and silly and funny and ha 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 ha. well now we're not afraid of the villain anymore because the villain isn't the villain the villain's the hero we hate the human characters we hate the people so we can't wait to get that watch them get killed oh it's gonna be really fun when this guy dies well that's not the way the first movies worked at all weekend to see A Nightmare on Elm Street because it wasn't playing in Westport, it was playing in New York. So we go to New York, we go to see the movie. Dude, my buddy, who's a big dude, who's a strong guy, you know, not afraid of anything, he had his sweater over his face because he was so scared watching the original Nightmare on Elm Street. That doesn't happen anymore, man, because we're afraid as filmmakers to tell stories that are that scary. We don't do it. We really don't do it. We do a bunch of jump scares. We do a bunch of nonsense. Here's the thing. The original like on Elm Street was about a child murderer, a guy who rapes and kills children. That's what the movie's about. Okay, try pitching that in a studio today. They'll immediately scream, that you can't tell that kind of story anymore. Who's going to go see that movie? Will you get canceled if you try to tell a story like that? The whole point of horror movies is that we're supposed to question the darkness in our world. Well, if as artists, we're not allowed to question the darkness, we're in trouble. Horror is in real trouble. So why can't horror fans have nice things? Because we keep trying to relive these icons, which we forget how they were generated. The only reason any of these characters are icons, the only reason is because the first movie was terrifying. Dude, the first child's play was scary. It was a really legit scary movie. I saw the reboot. Are you kidding me? It's just not in the same universe. It's just not. We don't have the bravery that once existed in films. We don't because we keep trying to somehow pander to a larger audience instead of realizing we need to cater to horror fans, the actual people who love horror movies. If we do that, I think we can have new franchises in, in a second. I think it will happen very quickly, but we have to cater to them. In our industry, it's, look, it's, it's an industry about money, and it, and it should be. It's a very expensive industry. So I understand the need for chasing a dollar. That's totally cool. That makes perfect sense. But bro, if people who are out there, and I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are, I think all that labeling is a bunch of nonsense. If you have a dream of making movies, look man, if if when I was a kid, if I had a movie studio in my pocket, which now everybody does, everybody's got a movie studio in their pocket. Everybody's got a camera, an editing software, everybody's got color timing right in their pocket. It's all right there. You can even cut and fix your soundtrack on your phone. If I had that stuff as a kid, I would never stop making movies. I would be making movies all day long. So if these characters can actually inspire you, then there's nothing better than any filmmaker could have done with their lives but contribute to that artistry moving forward.
1: Yeah, go ahead and plug in any websites or anything that you want to add next to anything that you want to further promote.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, look, I mean, uh, you spoke earlier about Secret Santa. Secret Santa was the first film out of my new company, Skeleton Crew. Um, it is a movie that's very near and dear to my heart. And by the way, Secret Santa 2018, not there's one, I think it's 2015, that is not us. That is not our Secret Santa. Secret Santa 2018, it is the, the poster is a, is a guy carrying a bloody package into a house, and it's a beautiful snowy image. <laughs> it's not about a killer Santa. It's really just about family and how family can be the most evil thing. I'm going to be overseas for a few months shooting a film called Dread that is based on a true story that is a pretty kick-ass thriller about three women who get stuck in a hotel that they find out is a human trafficking ring, and they have to somehow get out of this hotel alive. And the thing about Skeleton Crew is that like the movie I'm shooting in Europe is a, is a much bigger budgeted movie, but my favorite part of Skeleton Crew is our ultra low budget division, which is promoting new voices in film new filmmakers extraordinary people out that are you know that are creating a whole new worlds and this part of our company allows that to happen we've got one film that we're doing right now called fat camp massacre that is an entire team of female filmmakers that are creating something that is so badass and so wrong and so awesome and it is for people of size what get out was for people of color you know we try to stay political as a company we try to always have something to say and we I think political I don't mean Republican Democrat. I mean politics in the larger sense of the word. That I always want to be saying something about moving the human race forward in each one of our films. Even if it's the bloodiest horror movie you can imagine, I want it to have something on its mind. For me, the you know, my fathers in filmmaking are guys like Toby Hooper, who I work with on Texas Chainsaw, who, you know, when he made the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that movie is not about cannibal family that movie is about us cannibalizing ourselves because of Vietnam so our company is always trying to have that kind of thought moving forward on yes but what are we saying with this film future is pretty bright for skeleton crew right now man we're we're doing a lot of stuff and uh, we've got a new tv series that we're working on as well so I'll have more news about that in the next month so I'm getting very excited
1: very cool man very cool and there you have it everybody that is director Adam Marcus